What am I to do? Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, it's Jackie Russo. Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast. If you've had the chance to tune into the podcast in the past, you're used to listening to it, maybe on your drives or while you're working out. And this is going to be a whole new feature because now not only do you have the audio version that you can still download through the podcast, but there's this video version that you can watch on Facebook or YouTube, and I'm bringing in guests. So if you're tired of just listening to me drone on and on about a topic, you now get to hear somebody else's opinion. So when we started to plan this, because you know we have a little extra time on our hands these days, we thought who would be the perfect first guest? Well, of course, it's gonna be the guy who's been here from the beginning, sort of started all of this, Michael Russo. So Mike, thanks for coming out from behind the scenes and joining us on camera today. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Michael. You look real glad to be here. Yeah, I almost didn't click the um, end button. I was just going <laughs> to leave you out there for a little while and see what happens. That would have been fun. I would have just ad-libbed something. You know, my uh, speech and debate background would have saved me. I'd have been prepared. Yes. Yes. I'm aware of your speech and debate prowess. Oh, have I mentioned it in the past five minutes or should I talk about it some more? No, no, we're good. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Michael and I are married, in case that wasn't apparent a minute ago. Um, and we started the company together 20 years ago. And so in lieu of this 20th anniversary celebration coming up for the business, we are doing some things differently. You know, we're not the same company this year we were last year. And really, no one in the world is the same as they were last month. So we're all adapting to change. Uh, one of Michael's least favorite things, but he's been a real trooper, and I appreciate his participation through 20 years of shenanigans. So in good talk show host form, I have a stack of questions. Uh, most of these I already know the answer to, Michael, so I will serve as fact checker and interviewee. But if you're ready, I want to get started. All right, let's do it. Okay, so let's start with the crisis, because I think that's first and foremost on everybody's mind. So tell us a little bit about the situation here at Brand Russo and how our company has adjusted and adapted during this time of crisis. I mean, are we open? Are people working? We are open and we are working. And um, right now, basically, it's just um, kind of um, the head of each department's is here on, on the property. Um, myself in the creative department, um, you on your side, I think our office manager, Jessica's here and maybe, um, people kind of maybe bounce in and out, but pretty much everybody's working from home right now. So that's kind of been the uh, biggest adjustment, just like everybody else. Okay. That's, and I would agree with that assessment. So I think we were what, uh, listed as, um, uh, essential because we had, um, communications, basically we were helping companies communicate and let people know what's going on. So, yeah, I'm not sure if we're as essential as people on the front lines with healthcare and uh, responders no. and that kind of thing. God, no. But yes, there was some fine print down at the bottom of a list that called communications. And so we rolled right through it. Um, so what is the pandemic pivot looking like, not just for our business, but for our clients? Well, I think that's kind of it. The communication side of it is we've turned into a, um, a crisis management Team, even though that's kind of some things that we do all the time uh, as far as our, our branding services and whatnot, but it's kind of been full steam ahead for everybody the past month. Um, you know, communicating with their their audience and their consumers about what's going on, uh, how their deliver deliverables have changed, how their services have changed, um, and you know, helping everybody kind of manage through that 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 this this episode that we're dealing with right now. 
So there's been a lot of talk in the media um, at our dinner table about the Small Business Association and the loans that have been provided through the CARES Act, like the PPP and the EIDL. And I know you've really kind of let me uh, run with the ball on that. But from your perspective, what are you seeing and hearing about those programs and how they're affecting our clients? Um, I mean, it's kind of a little out of my wheelhouse, <laughs> but um, you uh, you're as the you know CEO of, the, of our agency, you kind of handle most of those things. But uh, but clearly, it's on everybody's top of mind, and um, I think everybody's kind of you know cautiously optimistic, and then at the same time, you know, nervous about what's coming next. Because uh, in the past month, I don't think it's really hit us um, from an economic or financial standpoint of of what it's going to look like six weeks from now. You know, and so I think that's that's what everybody's kind of dealing with at the moment. How are you feeling about the future? Um, I, I think good. You know, I, it seems like there's some light at the end of the tunnel right now. Um, you know, early on, I, I, you know, it may have felt a little like um, the early days of Walking Dead, but uh, I think that was a little bit, you know, over overstated, and you know, uh, everybody was nervous and kind of scared about those things. It sounded like it was, you know, end of times kind of thing. But I think, you know, it, it, while it is bad, I think that um, we've all managed to. Uh, follow the guidelines that put ahead of us. And it seems like that we are going to come out of this and hopefully people um, jump back in to life, you know, uh, where they can and, um, and um, figure out a way to return to some kind of normalcy as much as possible. How have you felt about how it's affected us as a family? I mean, you've been the guy out on the front lines, going to the grocery store, preparing the meals. So when you venture out, out of our bubble, because we're all been uh, pretty well quarantined, what does it look like to you out there? Um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a little different. Um, you know, we, we don't do too much traveling right now. I mean, our office is empty. Uh, so I'm kind of working alone. Um, um, when we do go out, you know, people are, you know, more and more people are wearing masks now. So it's more visible. Um, but people are cautious. It seems like everybody's kind of playing by the rules, you know, for the most part, um, at least in public spaces. And as we start to open up the economy, I think, again, it's going to be a new norm where we all have to follow certain guidelines to get back to where we want to be. And um, it's just, you know, so yeah, as far as like lifestyle goes, though, I mean, it's different for us just having I have two kids at college and they're both home now. So they're, uh, we have, you know, family dinners, which we haven't had in years because they've been away. Um, and so I think they're adjusting to life, um, a new life, a new norm. And, um, you know, like I said, it's it's just so many uncertainties, and every day it's kind of a, a new challenge to figure out, you know, where I am today. Um, so it used to be maybe you lived in the future or you lived in the past, and it seems like for the past month everybody's been living in the moment, and uh, in those moments are kind of what they are. So there's some positive that could come from all this. I I don't know about positives that come from this, but I mean I think we're going to change some things. I think you know um, how we communicate, how we uh, deal with people, how we um, interact is definitely going to think change. Um, you know, I don't know if it's good, I don't know, <laughs> but, but it, it is, it is going to be, you know, like I said, I think, um, maybe some good, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. All right. Now we've always had a lot of out of market clients. So we've had clients we've done work for, for years that we've never even met face to face. So how do you feel like everybody having to adapt to Zoom and online meetings is going to change the nature of business and business relationships? Well, I guess in that regards, kind of back to your other question, um, is, you know, I think um, I think that is a positive change in the fact that uh, the way people do communicate in those ways, because um, we've used it 
we it's not it wasn't a big change for us to jump on a Zoom call. It wasn't a big change for us to, you know, conference call. Because we do that all the time. It's part of our, our working flow. Uh we're dealing with people in Minnesota. We can't, you know, jump on a plane every time to visit with them. So, you know, that's been um been an easy transition for us. And I think um for the world it's gonna um make those kind of communications a lot easier. It makes the world that much smaller really in a lot of ways. Right. So the purpose of Razor Branding Podcast Live Edition is not just to talk about the crisis because that gets kind of old fast. People want to look beyond that. So we want to talk about Michael Russo, the early years. So let's talk a little bit about the beginning. Tell us about where you grew up. Um, I mean, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is going to be fun for everyone. Mostly me. All right. I'm not liking any of this, but um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we will proceed. Um, I'm from uh, born in Morgan City, Louisiana, and um, my family moved to Lafayette in the 80s. Uh, we moved to Florida in the 80s, <laughs> graduated high school, moved home for college at UL, had a brief stint in Montana, back to Lafayette. Then I moved to Seattle after college, worked there for a few years, moved back home to Lafayette, met my wife, had That'd kids, be me. started agency, and here we are 20 years later. Are you just trying to eliminate the next 27 questions? <laughs> was that, that was cover, well done. Um, so talk a little bit about your family environment growing up. Um, any siblings? I have And five. some of them might be watching, so don't exclude anybody. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I have five brothers and sisters, um, Italian family growing up. We're all pretty close in age, close in relationship as well. And um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was, that was kind of, um, you know, our thing. Yeah. So what were you like as a kid? Tell us about young Mike Russo. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for that. But um, I mean, you know, I guess relating to what I do now during the summers, I know my mom had had her hands full. So she would send us all to do things, uh, swimming lessons, tennis lessons, uh, pottery, whatever it was. And I used to doodle a lot. So I went to art lessons. I started painting probably around six or seven. And that was always something that I did. That was my thing. So um, anyway, that was um, I was that I was that kid. Okay. Artsy, How would your siblings, kind of kid. You're still an artsy kind of kid. How would your siblings describe you, your role in the family? Um, I don't know. I'm a middle child, oldest boy. Um, I don't know. They had a questionnaire they put on Facebook the other day, and it was ridiculous. It was about um, ridiculous uh, because of how accurate it was. Well, they all labeled me as uh, I had a, they said I had a big heart, which is nice. But what they really were trying to say was I'm, I'm sensitive and emotional. And because I'm, I grew up in the family I grew up in, that's not always handled the right way. So it's a lot of explosiveness, um, aggravation and things. So I believe nice you, putting it. you once described it as um, sharks who could sense the blood in the water. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that was my family. Definitely. Whoever, whoever showed vulnerability early on would be the one everybody got on. And that was a lot of times to me. So. Right. So tell us about your first job, not industry related, just first job in general. Um, my first job. Yeah. These are random questions. I don't know if anybody, I don't, all right, people care. Questions. People want to um, know about the real Mike Rousseau. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, my first job was probably, uh, working in an oil field shop when I was a kid for my, uh, from one of my dad's companies at the time, basically they put me out in the yard and I just broke bricks apart with a hammer. It was horrible. Okay. Decided well, to help, help, help pave my future for not doing the oil field. Wes Turner wants you to go into some detail about the twins four wheelers and why all of Mark's friends rode them. 
<laughs> Wes Turner. Um, yeah, Wesley lived in a uh, neighborhood by ours. And um, yeah, I don't know. That was, I don't, again, I don't know how relevant any of this is, but yeah, my dad decided to buy us a four-wheeler and two little bitty three-wheelers one year for Christmas. And um, we would terrorize. We basically lived back where ranch is now. It was all kind of woods at the time. And we would just drive around doing really not smart things. So Things we wouldn't let our kids do today. No, God, no. <laughs> it was a different time for sure. So tell us about high school, Mike Russo. Were you an athlete? Were you in clubs? Killing me, Jackie. Um, uh, I know some of these questions are going to be for other people, so you're kind of just testing it out. But No, no, I want to hear your answers. Um, I went to two high schools. I went to Como High School here in Lafayette, Ove Como. And um, I played football there. I was also in music. I did musicals. I was in a show choir, a um, group called Magic Moods. Um, nationally acclaimed group called Magic Moods. We were. We were. My freshman year, we were uh, second in the nation, I think. Third. I don't know. We went to Chicago and competed. We did really well. It wasn't like, um, it's a bad deal because, you know, you look at like Glee now and it wasn't, it wasn't like that. No one threw slushies on us or anything. It wasn't. Because the people in Glee were cooler? No, because oh. no, we had a bunch of football players that sang and danced, believe it or not. And um, That sounds like the premise of Glee. No, it was one guy. This was like, anyway. I'm not going to out anybody, but there was a bunch of people that did it. Um, and then midway, I got my sophomore year, my family moved to Florida, Clearwater, Florida. And that's where I went to high school and graduated. And um, same thing, was involved in music and art. And um, and then when we graduated, my family moved back to Louisiana. And then I followed them. And that's where I ended up going to college. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your college experience. Uh, did you work in college? Were you involved in uh, Greek life, sports? What was college, um, Mike, like? <laughs> yeah, somebody said it sounds very like Terry Duga, he knows it was Glee-esque, but that's okay. We're into college now. Yeah, so it was very it was kind of Glee-esque. Um anyway, I believe it was cooler in my head. I believe it was cooler. Um uh, sure it was. When I went to uh college, I went to UL, uh lived on General Mouton, bartended, um, a bunch of places, lived worked in the restaurant business. Um I was in school a very long time. Um I got the most out of my college experience. Um I was there for like seven years, but, um, that's one degree. Yeah. One degree. Never take That's off. one degree more than I have. So I'm not knocking it. Yeah. It was, it was interesting, but I studied advertising design there. I was also, um, probably had enough credits and performance to minor music somehow, but, uh, did a lot of musicals there. I had a great time. Um, enjoyed it. And then, um, yeah, that was it. All right. So good college experience. And then yeah. talk a little bit yeah, about I wasn't after in, college. I wasn't in, I wasn't in um, Greek, I was in a, a music fraternity called Fami Alpha Symphonia. And that was, that was, met a lot of really good guys. Some same friends I have today are from that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I enjoyed my time in school. So post-college, you moved to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about your life up there. I followed um, a couple of friends of mine, Patrick Sullivan and uh, Melissa um, Lyons at the time, now Melissa Bowens, had moved to Seattle. It was the grunge, into kind of the tail end of the grunge period. Um, a movie named uh, Singles came out, and it looked like a really cool place. And they were already up there doing doing things, and so um, I went there. It sounded like a cool opportunity. So I went and stayed on Melissa's couch for a few weeks, found my place eventually, and um, and was up there working in the restaurant business for a couple of years at a restaurant called uh, Buca de Beppo. Okay. So talk a little bit about how graphic design in that area um, shaped you as you moved back to Lafayette and sort of the early beginnings of your career. Um, it was cool. I was able to freelance up there a lot and did a lot of work for um, for people that I knew as well as like they had a, um, they had a really good 
uh, like agency freelance program where you go in certain companies and they would almost sub you out like temps in creative departments. And so I got to work on really cool stuff. And I got to see a whole different world because West Coast, especially Northwest Coast, is very different, I think, than anywhere on the planet. And um, so I definitely got influenced by um, things that I saw there and experienced. And um, working in a bigger market, working in a fast-paced market, and um, being able to kind of take that home with me. And then when I did get home, realizing that it was very different here and um, the way things were done and the, the pace and whatnot. So it was, it was a good foundation for uh, for what I wanted to do with my career and, and my eventually my agency. Okay. So you moved back to Lafayette and? Um, as soon as I got here, I wanted to leave because it was August and it was hot. And um, I had some friends in New York. I thought about going there. And um, and then I got set up basically on a blind date and um, with uh, my future wife. And we ended up really, yeah, I think we got married within the year. We or did. Soon after, yeah. Um, within a year. Yeah, had kids. Started so you're agency. glossing over a lot of really good details and fun stories. Is yeah. it your intention just to not share anything personal? <laughs> I think it's good. I think we need to go a little deeper. So let's talk about that first setup. How did y'all meet? Um, like I said, it was basically a blind date. We, um, Jackie, you, I'm talking to you in third person. Uh, we met at a um, at an advertising party, I think an ad fed function or something, mm-hmm. um, technically met. Um, I, was, I recall I was leaving and you ran out. And chased me down in the yard and said, hey, and I was like, who's this crazy person? And it was you. And you were like, oh, so you obviously remembered me. And I did not totally remember you. But I remember Melissa, our mutual friend, who was Melissa, the previous Melissa who lived in Seattle. Uh, we were like best friends in Elder College. And, and she was a story sister of yours. And um, anyway, so long story short, you needed a date for a Mardi Gras ball. And you were talking to Melissa. Melissa said, why don't you ask Mike? He has a tux and can dance and will probably say yes. And all, all three things were true. So um, went, on the, went on that date, had a great time, and um, ended up um, getting married. That's a pretty good version of the story. Um, as a guest, I will not take this moment to correct any um, missed details that you just shared. I'll let your version stand even if it paints me to be the crazy person who chased you down in the yard, and that may or may not have been. I'm just accurate. saying I was I, I left an impression in college. I was I was I was very um, yeah. You knew you knew who I was. <laughs> I left my mark. We'll go with that. <laughs> um, so talk about the early days of Brand Russo, uh, the catalyst for starting the company. What was your why? Um, I think you know we we, had, we were both working in the industry. Um, I was an art director at an agency here in, in um, town, and you were doing media for um, uh, auto dealership. And um, your background obviously was uh, kind of bigger than your role at the time. You had done a lot of uh, stuff in the entertainment business in Los Angeles before you moved back. Um, you ran companies. You you'd done a lot of really big things, and so you, like you had the um, the wherewithal of uh, a, a strategic development and how to run a company and all those different things. And so, um, and, and advertising is made up of those two worlds. Normally there's the strategy side and the creative side. And we kind of were like, well, we both do those things. Why don't we kind of do them together? So we left where we were at. And um, I think you left first and we're basically just buying media. And, um, and then I joined in and then we became a full service agency after that. So as you talked about it, and I think you make a good point, you know, it's the two sides of the same coin. Uh, so it's that opposite to attract in life as well as in business. 
So how has that been for you with the two opposites working together and being married to each other? I think it's a, it's, it's a good and bad. It's, it's a struggle because those, those two sides usually struggle in most agencies. Um, the creative is, is always pushing for things that maybe the strategy or the business side is saying no to. Um, you know, I think we have a balance of that, but that's usually where the heads rub. You know, it's like creative will have this vision. I want to do this. I want to do this. And, and business like, well, you know, A, we can't afford that. We, we need to do this instead. This is probably a better choice. Even though it may not be as fun, we still have to do it. So there, there's that rub with that. You know, I think when they're when they when they're able to combine with each other, and I think we do that pretty well um, with, with life and in business, is um, it makes for a better outcome. What's the culture like at Brand Rousseau, in your opinion? Um, I think it's ever evolving, but I think for the most part, we it's it's been consistent in the fact of what we wanted. Now it took us a while probably to get there, but as far as culture goes internally, it was it was really a place for grown ups to work. It was we didn't want to be micromanagers. We didn't want to have to um, follow people around or have a time clock or you know count minutes or bill clients by the minute. It, that that seemed like lawyers. It seemed too much. And so it was it was more important I think for us to um, have an environment that we like the people we work with. And we enjoyed what we do, and we're proud of what we do. And because um, everybody's got to have a job. I mean, if I didn't have to work, I'm, I may not actually work, or I may find something else to do that is not as you know work. But uh, if you're going to work, you might as well, you you better damn well enjoy the people you work with, and you better um, enjoy what you do and get some fulfillment out of it. So I think that is the basis of the culture: is to always, you know, um, do right by your coworkers and do right by your clients. So after 20 years in the business, when did you finally get to the point where you felt like you were an adult and knew what you were doing? Um, last week, last month, <laughs> last year. Yeah, it's still still ongoing. But I think a few okay, years next back. Week. I think a few years back, I, I read the book. Um, is it Malcolm McDowell, um, mm-hmm. Outliers? Yeah, and he, he talks about 10,000 hours. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, thank you. I don't read a whole lot, but uh, at least not books. Um, but I read that one, and it meant a lot. It, it, it kind of struck a chord with me, and, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense until like maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. It was like there was this moment that I woke up, and I was like, I know what I'm talking about. You know, like when somebody asks me a question, and I talk about advertising or branding, it's like I'm speaking, it sounds arrogant, but from an authority standpoint, because I've done it long enough. I've learned enough through trial and error, through experience, that when I say something or when you when you say something, it's it's kind of like my opinion matters. And, and if I think it's this way, then I'm I'm gonna rely on that for for what's best for my clients. And so um from that vantage point, um I think that was the evolution of, you know, I'm not pretending anymore. I actually I didn't just read this from a book. I gained all this from experience. Right. Tell me about a project that forced you to be innovative and creative, something you're particularly proud of. Um, there's a bunch. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to, to figure that one out. I think, um, you know, and even on back to your back question, one thing I learned in college, I studied um, advertising design with, um, with Dutch Kepler there and um, he's retired now, but he had produced some amazing art directors um, all over the Gulf coast. And I was really proud to get to that program because a lot of people didn't. Um, but he, he kind of, stressed always um quality comes through quantity you know and that you have to kind of dig deep you have to get past the surface and sometimes your first idea isn't your best idea so you have to do the work to get there and the work's really important it's not a it's not a mystical creative thing it's just a, a roll up your sleeves and get to work and eventually you, you're going to find the answer and so we're talking about different projects that i'm particularly proud of it's like they all kind of have that medicine you know but uh a few in particular like we did a campaign for um for shreveport Bossier. I love that. I still love that one. And it was um, came up because 
basically, the long story short, uh, all the casinos in Shreveport were struggling because a bunch of casinos had opened up in, in Oklahoma, and um, and they were pulling business away. Yeah, for a bunch of different reasons. So Shreveport came together, all their casinos, and they hired us to come up there and come up with a campaign to help stop the bleeding, basically, you know. And so we went up and we um, we bought all the billboards all the way up to going to Oklahoma. And the billboards were um, tag the tagline was um, Shrevebo, sorry, the nickname of it. Uh, so much better than okay. So much better than Oklahoma. You get it? So much better than okay. And it was the whole thing was so much better than okay. So much better than okay. Uh, the, the drinks are better. The gaming is better. The experience is better. The nightlife is better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that whole campaign was just smart and it worked. And I think they had a great results from it, which is always nice to have. Absolutely. There's Did you have some work that you wanted to show? Did you no. pull up something? Okay. Uh, so how do you I'm encourage... Not for that. Sorry. That's quite fine. How do you um, encourage professional development in yourself and your team? Um, I think it's easy nowadays because uh, it used to be a little harder, I think. Um, but now we have the internet. So it's about reading and learning and seeing other works, seeing what's going on in different parts of the country, you know, experiencing uh, new things and just constantly opening up to those opportunities. Um, in our world, you know, our jobs, it, it, there's never an off time. You're always doing advertising. When you see a billboard, when you see an ad, you're thinking, oh, it's really bad or that's really good or that's really, oh, I like that. And so I think that's part of it, you know, is to be open to those opportunities. Um, same time, it's, you know, try to schedule conferences and things where you go out and, and discover new things. Um, not working in a bubble helps, you know, like our, our team of art directors and developers and designers and writers, even our brand developers. I mean, everybody works together. And I think that's part of the process, too, is just being open to not always thinking you have the best idea in the room and, and, and trusting people around you. Right. Um, so I just got a little private message from our friend Melissa, who you've referenced a number of times during this. Um, and she said, you're doing a very good job. Oh, good. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so tell me something that another company is doing first that you wish you had done. It doesn't have to be advertising. It doesn't have to be an industry specific, but just anything, whether it's a campaign that you thought was really smart or a project that you like, oh, that was, I like the way they did that. Anything pop in your mind? Mm, I mean, probably, but at the moment, there's, I'm, I'm more thinking about. How soon this is going to end? Yes, and, and I saw my sister just popped up and said people are watching me. So that's all I can really run through my head at the moment. So I'll have to be better prepared in the future if we do this. I'm not sure if you'll get a recurrence. I have a lot of people who are requesting to be guests. So I'll see where I can slot you in next time. Yeah. Um, so tell me about a failure, something where you feel like you failed and you wish you had the ability to do it over again. Um, I don't think I have anything that uh, that big. You know, anything you regret, anything you wish you had, had done differently that you feel like you were wrong about? I'm sure there is. I have no doubt. I mean, that, but maybe that I, girl that you went out to dinner with two uh, nights before our first day. You still thinking about that one? Well, if you're going to do that, that's fine. It, well, OK, <laughs> what she's talking about, because I have feel like I have to explain now, is our, our first like, we were going to this Mardi Gras ball and um I thought, well, let's go meet each other first. So we have, you know, some something to talk about before just meeting at, at the ball. And so I took her to uh, TGI Fridays at Canyon Mall when it was still open. And um, like the week before, I had gone out with um, on a, on another date in Baton Rouge with some with somebody, and maybe New Year's Eve. Even. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and we and I was running with some people who went to a really nice restaurant, and I didn't have any money. I, I didn't have any, and I blew like a lot of money that night, like a lot of money. And the, I never saw the girl again. But when I went to go um, hang out with Jack, um, 
I had no money. So we um, ordered a Coke and ordered her a Coke. It's like, you want a soda? And then that was it. I kind of just kind of played it. I was hoping for the best. And she never asked for anything else. And so I never offered anything else. And we got through the entire day without ever having more than a soda. <laughs> well, it was free refills. So you were working the system really well. It was. And you still married me. So, so it. it all worked out. Yeah, definitely. Um, so tell me about some of your favorite client projects. Shrevebo you mentioned, which is a good one. Anything else that pops into your mind that you think, man, I'm proud of that work or that was good stuff. I enjoyed um, that. I, I, you know, like I said, everything has its personal place. It's, it's really, I mean, as from a the creative person or developer or a whatever, creative director of the agency, everything we do that we send out of here is, is something that's special to me. It really is. I mean, I take very personal care of everything. And some things are more sexy than others. But everything is important or memorable. Um, but there are certain things, like I said, when, whenever a client really buys in um, to what we're talking about, and we do our razor branding process, and we go top to bottom, and we really dig deep, we find out what's going on inside the company and um, a local um, accounting firm, uh, Bruce R. Poche, is one of my favorite clients. They're still with us after many years. And um, I think we turn them, a lot of things we see at an agency have changed the conversation. And uh, I think we did that for them completely. Um, we took a boring, stale, kind of been it forever accounting firm and turn them into something totally different. I think with their radio spots and their messaging and, and they've seen growth from it. And uh, I think their, their culture, we, we address that and it's better internally. And, um, and they're, they're a great company to begin with. But like I said, we just changed the way they were reviewed, I think, by the rest of the world and the way they, people process them. And, um, and I think it helps when, you have, when it starts with a good company that really does good work. Like they're, they are community involved and they are amazing. Um, so, you know, they, they have that emotional connection with their audience um, through, like I said, just kind of kind of what they do every day. And so we just help translate that into the communication side of it. And so, yeah, very proud of that. And like I said, anything along those lines. You know, on that, Wesley Turner just um, asked a follow-up question. How do you think emotional awareness is going to play a bigger or smaller role um, in changing the conversation as we move forward as a smaller planet? Which is very insightful. Thanks, Wes. I, well, I know, right? It's like a plug, like like a plant, right? <laughs> I know. You would think we had it scripted, but we didn't. So do how think? do you answer my friend, Wes? What do you think? I think that this is the joy of being the host, is that the guest gets to sit on the hot seat, and I just have to read the questions. Well, I think it will play a bigger role, um, uh, because it, it's an important role. Uh, it's, it's the foundation of, of branding. I think a lot of people, you know, they say branding, they throw it around. It's a word that we have a client recently that was like, wouldn't allow us to use the word branding in a meeting. And, uh, and I, I kind of got that. I'm like, I, I get it because everybody uses the word and it's not always used properly. Um, it's not a logo. It's it, what we believe. It's, it's a gut feeling. You know, it's, it's what makes makes something special. And um, when we say emotional connections, it's not always happy or sad or crying or like that, but it's something that makes you feel something. It makes you like it, makes you not like it. So yeah, as the world gets, the planet gets smaller and we're, we're more connected in different ways, um, how do you set yourself apart? How do you make yourself unique? You know, And it's not always just from the products you sell. Sometimes it's how you sell them and what you're providing and how people see that product, service, or company benefiting their lives and how they connect with that. And once you're able to connect with that on, on a psychographic like level, on an emotional level, then they're, they're tied to you and they become your advocates. They become your, you know, um, loyal. They become, they become loyal and they become your advocates and they're out preaching for you and they're selling because no, everyone loves to go say, hey, I got, I got this great company or I just found this great product. Everybody wants to be the person in that. And that only comes from connecting with them on an emotional level. Do you agree? 
I agree 100%. And I think it's a nice roll in to the very next question on the card, which is what makes Brand Brew so different? Um, I think that, I mean, we're, we're just like any other agency as far as offerings, like services. You know, we, we, we make TV commercials and radio and we write print ads and we do social media and we do online. We do all the things that most typical agencies do, right? But mm-hmm. that's, that's just what we do. That's not who we are. You know, I think um, the stuff that comes before and after that is what makes us unique. Uh, I think we're a communications company. We're a messaging company. And um, messaging is so important, especially these days when there's so much out there, you know. How do you say something that under, you know, it's, it's a long answer, but, you know, understanding who your audience is, understanding what they're about, and then crafting messaging that connects with them and resonates with them and makes them, motivates them towards something, some kind of action. Absolutely. Well, also talk about, no, no, that was a really good answer, but talk a little bit about too, about our approach to things like awards. You know, that's a big thing in ad agency land is going out and winning all these awards, but Russo's a little different. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I we've done that, and um, we've we've won a, a few things along the way. Um, I think at some point though, we we realized that it was it was a huge. Um, we weren't really big enough to get the big, like the big, what is it, the gold pencil and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Of, you got a whole stack of tellies in there, so yeah, I mean, we've won a bunch of awards over over time in different categories and different things, but. But it became like a really, um, like I said, we weren't big enough to get the, the big national thing because we weren't doing work for Nike and we weren't doing work for Coke, you know, that kind of thing. But from a regional level, um, you know, it was it cost a lot of money and it just it didn't make us better. I mean, people say it helps you you stay good because you're competing and, and best work. We try to do the best work regardless. Um, we try to do our research regardless. We try to make sure we're top grade regardless. So having an award for it only makes we're spending money that we don't, you know, we shouldn't be spending and, and we're sucking time away from our clients that we don't shouldn't do and so we kind of stopped all that and um kind of our mantra has always been you know we're not just doing pretty pictures we're, we're doing stuff with substance stuff with strategy stuff with meaning and sometimes that's not always the sexiest thing in the room it's not always the prettiest girl in the room you know and, and so um but it may be the right thing you know what i'm saying so yeah. you know like if i'm doing a business card and there's you know i always make a joke about it but like you know i'm gonna get this hand woven paper from taiwan that was made by monks and it cost you know ten dollars per card that may win me some awards and it'd be awesome, but it's probably not right for the client. So I stay away from that. And there's probably a bunch of ways to execute and still get quality without doing that. I appreciate those that do do that. And I, I'm a big admirer of great design and great font work and all those things. It's just sometimes you have to, I wouldn't say sacrifice, but you have to um, meet in the middle and, and find, be a good steward of money, be a good steward of execution. And then always, you know, we strive to have the best design, the best creativity, but, but it's, it's not, that, that can't lead strategy's got to lead first. Well, that's good. I think that's a good answer. And, and I think part of it is, and I think you would agree, about doing the work that's going to get the client more business, not get the agency more awards. Well, yeah. And sometimes I mean, those are yeah. two very different things. Well, I think, yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's somewhat almost criminal sometimes when people, you know, don't understand how important it is. I mean, you know, how many people have um, come to us and they've spent money with us and there's no guarantees in advertising, obviously, but they're, they're, writing us a check and saying, I really need this. Like, I'm, I, you know, my next quarter is not going to, I may not be here next year if, if this doesn't work. We take that pretty damn seriously, you know, and we make sure that what we're doing is going to be the best for them. And sometimes it's telling them no. Sometimes it's saying, you know, you don't need that board outside your house uh, just because you can see it. You know, sometimes your audience isn't there and you shouldn't be spending money here. You need to be spending it there. And not everybody likes being told that. Um, doesn't always work out, but, but we try to be honest and we try to find the right path for everybody. 
Right. Talk about the experience about working here at the agency and what makes it different with like our vacation policy, flexible hours, focus on family, those kinds of things. Uh, well, you know, I think we both agree when we, when we started all this that we um, at the time uh, we were working out of a bedroom in our house. Um, I believe our Jordan, our, our second child daughter was um, was in a crib beneath your desk. And um, while we were trying to move into our office, our first office. And um, so it was it was humble, obviously um, started up with no help from anyone. We had, you know, there was no loan. There's no cash. It was like, all right, let's, let's do this and let's jump in head first. And we left our jobs and took a big risk with that. The point being is we came from environments where we worked a lot and we worked weekends and we worked nights and, and there was no, you know, if you had a deadline, you just worked and you worked and you worked and you worked. And um, we started having a family and we moved home. And the reason why we moved home um, was to have a place where we were home at five every day and we were, you know, with our kids in the evenings, we we're able to coach and we we're able to take them to dance and, and do all the things that regular people did without having to sacrifice all that just for the work. And, um, and that's kind of been our culture. And again, it's finding people that buy into that that don't need to be told what to do. Like it, it, at our office, it, it, any time of the day, it may be empty because somebody, you know, we tell them, you know, I have a doctor's appointment. You don't have to go tell anybody you have a doctor's appointment. You just go, <laughs> you know, and, and we just trust that you're going to get your work done and you're going to check in and you're going to do the things you're supposed to do. And because of that, I think we have a, a staff that, that, that works really well with that. Um, Again, not everybody works in those good in those environments, so it hasn't always been successful with everybody that's been here. But uh, but I think for the most part, that's did I answer your question. Is that? Yeah. So it's about having people that are self-starters and task-oriented, and they can get their job done and not have to punch a clock yeah. or be tracked. Yeah, totally, totally. And um, yeah, because we're we're very bad at that. You and I both are bad micromanagers. We're bad. Uh, I think we've gotten we're better. Good because we're not micromanagers. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I like to think about it. Okay, I mean, so we're, this is... I said we're, we, you know, we're involved with kind of everything to a certain degree. That's one, one of the differences too, is that, you know, both agency partners touch every project and we're, we're involved, whether if our hands aren't on it, we're in the meetings on it. And, um, and so, like I said, that's part of it, but we do trust our team to execute and to follow through with, with, with the, those visions. Right. So now we're into the insight section. This is oh, back to me. All about I thought, you. I thought we were wrapping up. No, nope, not quite yet. So what advice would you give to the younger you? Um, God, that's, I don't, um, yeah, I should probably got these questions ahead of time. Oh, um, no, it's a lot more fun this way. What advice would I give the younger me? Um, I think, um, finish school earlier, you know, like, um, not, not screw around as much and, um, stick with math a little better so no, i think that's those are good answers um heather russo is needing a shout out so please honor your sister for listening yeah heather heather used to be uh my favorite sister as she was on my phone um and uh labeled that way I, I have twin sisters heather and holly russo and so i called one of my favorite sisters a joke and the other one was my other favorite sister and the, the problem is is that there was a falling out recently um over something so i had to um yeah, this is, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yes, we can. Ex favorite sister. favorite sister. Yeah, that's Heather. Now, she may still kind of get back in the running on it, but um, it's debatable. So, we'll see. I don't know if she expected me to talk about that. but <laughs> I'm sure that she wasn't, but I'm sure she appreciates the shout out. Yeah. So, tell mind. us, Mike, who is your longest standing friendship? Who's your best friend? Who's the guy who knows you the best? Um, Definitely Cody Bowen. Uh, yeah, he's my he's my bird. We're like he's brothers. your ride or die? Yeah, we were fraternity brothers in college, and um, 
and best friends to this day. So. And you were in a quartet together. We, yes, of course. Yes, that's kind of how we um, how we knew uh, knew each other. And so we went to. Um, I'm sorry. They um, yeah yeah we sang in a quart I sang in a quartet and uh, we were uh, a cappella barbershop quartet and we traveled like we were actually pretty good for a while and we traveled all over the country and performed in different venues and actually cut a CD. And, um, and, and before the acapella was cool and, um, and now we still get together, uh, with John and Colin and my other members, and, uh, we're still like, like brothers we hang out all the time. So your CD sold 3000 copies. I don't think you have to humble brag about it. It's a real deal. Uh, it wasn't about to go platinum or anything, but you know, we did sell out. So yeah. I think 3000 copies is copper. Uh, I think it works that <laughs> I think it Triple copper is how yeah. I think of it. No, I'm, um, I'm so, officially retired now, so. Yeah. No. Yeah, most part. That makes us sad. Uh, so when we talk about your longest standing friendship, Cody Bowen, uh, what would you say he likes the least about you? Who, Cody? Yeah. Um, if I was to ask him, what do you curse. like the least? I probably shouldn't curse in here. That I'm. You I'm probably shouldn't. A, yeah, I'm kind of a... Um, I'm a, I'm a jerk most of the time. I don't know. <laughs> Not a jerk. That's the wrong word. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be friends with me. I'm I'm unreliable and don't answer the phone all the time and don't answer text and because um, I'm busy. That's there's excuses, but yeah. Sure. So yeah, that's a you know. Oh, Wesley's corrected me. Uh, your triple aluminum. <laughs> your CD. Is aluminum is when you sell a thousand copies, not copper. Uh, so we have a question from Jessica, which is actually a question coming up, but I'll go ahead and do it now. She wants to know if you didn't work in branding, what would be your dream job or career? Oh, that's easy. Um, a couple of things. I would probably um, move to New Orleans and work in the Blaine Kern studio building water girl floats. Yes. Without a doubt, that would be what I would do. For sure. Like sculpting the floats and making these huge monstrosities. I would love that. Yeah. Okay. So something like that I would do. Yeah. Um, so Simone has a question, Michael, what did you create that you're most proud of? Um, oh, I mean, definitely my kids. I mean, that's, you know, nice answer. My babies. That's a very safe answer. Uh, describe a typical day in your life. Oh man. We're, we're, how many more we got? We're... Um, just about 35. No, stop it. I'm just kidding about six, but it right. doesn't matter. Answer this one. All right. What was the question? Describe a typical day in your life. Um, it uh, it's it. I mean, lately it's very typical. I you know because the world. Like I, I get up and I go to work um, early, seven thirty eight. When I get up, and um, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't happen all the time. But anyway, yeah, I work all day. Um, you know, grab lunch downtown, and um, I get home at, at five. Um, cook, have dinner with my family and kids. Um, we'll hang out and talk, and then um, usually there's uh, some couch time. Maybe some nap time. I like my naps. Uh, sometimes I nap during the day too. And then um, towards the evening, I'll go back to the office and I'll paint, or I will um, have a little studio set up there, and um, on the other side of that wall, and uh, or I'll catch up on work and just have some quiet time. And then I'll get home midnight or one or so, watch a little TV until like two or three, and then go to sleep and get up the next morning and do it again. I would say as your official fact checker, that sounds accurate. Mm -hmm. What event has most shaped who you are now? Um, what event is the most shaped? Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of things, but I guess, you know, getting married, you know, meeting you as, as, as definite. Um, I mean, cause everything has resulted from that. Having kids, having our business, having our house, having our life, you know, that all, that all worked. So. Right. Uh, we have a little question from Jonathan. 
Oh, what man. would you do if tomorrow Futura suddenly didn't exist? I, I could not go on. <laughs> I could not go on. It is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful typeface, and you don't really need much more than that, Jonathan. That's, That's awesome. Oh, all you need. That is awesome. Okay, so we have a question from Dana. Um, I know Michael loves to cook. What's his signature dish? Um, uh, it depends on who you ask. If it was Molly, she would say it's pig and blanket, which is hot dogs sliced in half with cheese wrapped in uh, croissant rolls and baked. That's her thing. Um, if you ask Jackson, it would be um, dirty rice, which I make, which is pretty good, I think. Um, the other two, uh, it's Maggie would be spaghetti or peanut and jelly or SpaghettiOs. True. I have a weird family as far as food goes, but um, no, but I, I I don't know. I think anything in a pan, pasta, anything pasta. I, do I would say good. pasta. I like your um, yeah. vegetables. Yeah, I don't bake. Vegetables. I don't do anything else. So. No, you're a pan cooker for sure. Uh, what values do you live by? Um, I mean, I guess same values as everybody else, but uh, um, you know, being honest, hardworking being a grinder, just, you know, getting things done, no matter what, what people put in front of you, you, you overcome it and you keep moving forward. I think you're allowed to, to bitch about it a little bit or complain, but as long as you, you know, bear your head at the end of the day and, and get things done, I learned that from my dad. I mean, um, you know, whatever life throws at you, if it's hard, you just you keep working and you make it happen. And cause nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Nobody's going to make it better for you. So you just you keep digging and you make it right. Uh, Johnny Bloss popped up with what might be the second best question to Jonathan's. Johnny wants to know, are you catching for Jackson during the downtime? <laughs> no. Be I, honest. Talk no. about what happened at the park. No, I went there yesterday to catch with him. I couldn't even catch him if I'm standing up. I mean, it had been a year or so, and after so much baseball growing up, I mean, like, since he was seven, I mean, how many batting sets, how many uh, sessions in the cage did we throw? How many VPs? How many, just, I mean, to where I was doing that all the time. I could barely reach him. And then he started throwing at me, and his ball has so much damn movement. It would start here and wiggle in and I, it, I like to blame it because it was shady outside but i really couldn't catch him um it scared me a lot so i'm i'm done i'm retired from that official i was already retired but now i'm like officially like i'm not catching with him anymore and he wasn't throwing hard but uh he throws harder than he, he used to throws a lot harder than he used to yeah i mean a ball coming at your head at 84 miles an hour is really hard yeah yeah we don't do what's that. your guilty pleasure um, <laughs> I have a bunch of them. I'm a exactly. Very uh, yeah, I do. But I think you know, I think watching really bad reality shows um, yes. is probably what my kids would say is bad. Shout out to some of your favorites. Oh, I watch everything. Um, I mean, Love Island, um, which is great. Australian and the British one, not the American one. Um, but yeah, I'm mean, there's there's a bunch. I mean, I'm I I whatever I land on sometimes is like really weird and I'll just stick with it. So Okay. How would you like to be remembered? Um again, why are you asking me stuff like that? Because we want to know the real Mike Risha. Nobody wants to know the real <laughs> Um I, I don't know how I want to be remembered, but hopefully hopefully he's a good person, you know, good man, good father. Um, somebody with character, somebody that, you know, did right by people. So what do you say to yourself when you're in doubt? Um, I don't know, because if you're doubting yourself, then why would you believe anything you say? Ooh, that's deep. I mean, if I'm already in doubt, then I'm like, I'm spiraling at that point. <laughs> if I get down to that point, then it's all going to hell. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to this year's graduates? Oh, God. Sorry. 
Yeah, y'all are screwed. I don't know. I mean, no, I mean, they'll be fine. I think um, they've had a really bad deal. I mean, you know, I can only imagine my senior, I'm trying to think about my senior year. I don't know if I would have mattered that much because I, I was different high school, but I imagine my, my kids and like, like my son, if he lost his senior year in baseball, talking about Johnny, his, his son was an amazing baseball player and having, having an amazing year, his senior year, he was just like the man and, and, and just take, taken away. And there's no coming back. There's no giving it back. There's no redos. And I, and again, I get the perspective. I get that this is much more serious than those things, but it's still hard to wrap your head around. You know, the people, people that were really into school, people that were really into their, they worked so hard to have this amazing senior year. If they were involved that way, I wasn't involved that way. I was, I was ready to get out of school. Like my junior year, like I had senioritis real bad. I was not a, I was not a, um, um what do you call it? I was not a joiner in high school as far as my senior year goes. I wasn't in all the clubs and all that. Football, magic moods, theater. That was earlier. Yeah. Well, I did still do the arts and stuff when I was a senior, but, uh, but I was ready to go. If they would have said you can go early, I would have gone early. Um, but anyway, the point is I, I get people that, that aren't – that are into their things. So, yeah, just my advice to them is just, um, again, it's a hard thing. Is like everybody's going through it, so kind of suck it up a little bit. Grieve. Be sad about it. Remember the good things. Find ways to connect with your people on your own terms. When this is over, find ways to reunite and have your own experiences, you know, um, your own parties, your own gatherings. And maybe a year from now, I don't know, uh, hopefully not. But, but you know, find your way to make those things better. But at the end of the day, bury it. Use it as an experience and, and trek on because, you know, right. life keeps moving. I feel like there are a bunch of rubisms that are applicable at this time, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. I, I think about that a lot. Like, like how would, how would? Uh, and I think um, Coach Deggs has done a great job with what he said and done since all this has gone down and the way he's managed and, and dealt with the team and all that. Uh, we're obviously big fans, but uh, I can only imagine what Coach Rogue would be like during this time and um, what he would be saying. And uh, I think he would be like a sage source of wisdom. Like people would be hanging on his every word. Like he'd say something and be like, "Oh, that's right. It's all good." You know, like you, you need people like that. You need people in your life that say something and you like. Yes. He said right. it was cool, so I'm cool, you know. Right. What gives you hope? Um uh, because there has to be. Sure. I mean, if not, then why? Why even bother? You know. <laughs> but yeah, my kids, my future, all that. If you could send a note to yourself in twenty thirty, what would it say? You're still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made it. Um, how long is it now? That's 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, no, just in, enjoy. Enjoy your life. Yeah. Uh, what's the one thing in your life that you're glad you did? Um, what's the one thing? Wait, say it again. What's the one thing in your life that you're glad you did? Um... A bunch of things, uh, but I think I think getting involved in in, in music and, and 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 being a performer and those things have been blessings. All of them, um, um, and that's really changed earlier on. Obviously, getting married, having kids, and all that stuff. But early on, it was it was discovering the arts and opening myself up to those things. Because I, I beginning my you know, like my dad would. I think he just now for a long time it was like I'm not sure what he does, some kind of art thing, you know. And uh, now he understands it's advertising and things like that. But but for a long time it was breaking the mold. Um, being in, in Lafayette, Louisiana, and 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 growing and, and doing, becoming, uh, you know, learning the arts and getting involved in those kind of things. So, and Jonathan said hiring him. So, 
It's possibly correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Molly has a little comment. Uh, she wants to know who is your favorite employee. Molly Daigle wants to know. That's Molly, of course. Oh, well, I would imagine that would be the safe answer. Uh, when's the last time you felt awe? Awe? Yeah. A-W-E. Awe. Like this um, is awesome. Awe. I think all the time. I think uh, that's a, that I'm constantly amazed by things like little things and probably littler things than, than bigger things. You know what I'm saying? Like a funny moment, a creative something, uh, something that's inspirational, something that made me laugh, something my, my kid will say, something that they'll, the way they look, you know, or a joke or something like that. So, yeah, that happens regularly. I, I enjoy the little things in life. So that's constant. Right. What historical event would you most like to have witnessed? Um... That's a good question. I love history and stuff, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, to witness, I don't know. Probably, um, probably the the end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, when the immigration was happening from Italy, and what those people were going through and experiencing as they traveled to America. My my ancestors came from Sicily, so I'm real interested in that kind of thing. So that's a good one. Um, what's the best mistake you ever made? Do you want to go back to hiring Jonathan? Okay. <laughs> That's probably good. Yeah. What's your pettiest pet peeve? I have so many. I can't even start. I know. I just give me a top five. I can't. I can't. I, I just, I, I am the most irritable. I don't know. What's the word when you're irritated by Easily anything? irritated? I am most easily irritated. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's little things that nobody would ever notice. My sister Lisa, growing up, when she'd eat powdered donuts, I don't know why we still have powdered donuts, but I don't know why this reminds me. But she used to um, eat them and powder on her fingers, and she would flick her fingers after. <laughs> it would like like nails on a chalkboard. I can't stand it. So that's. Me. Oh, that list is so long. It's funny to me that that would be the one you would pick out. Um, what's the one thing you change about yourself? <sighs> um, yeah, I just be more patient and um, a little more. Uh, getting out of my own way to enjoy life a little more. Oh, Wesley has people misusing further and farther. So you can add that to your very long list of pet peeves. Yeah. Um, those, I mean, that, you know, those are, um, exclamation points. Yes. Freaking hate exclamation points. And <laughs> she I'm censoring myself right now. Yeah. Wait, but click yeah. her so you can see it. Cause it's the best. There we go. No, Four I exclamation points. I, I went in one day and I yelled at our entire social media team. I was like, it is forbidden. No one is to use exclamation points. Anything you send me in copyright, never, ever. It is. It's like I'm happy. Exclamation point. I'm happy. No, you're happy or you're not happy. You don't have to put an exclamation point to make you happy. And then especially if you put three, it doesn't make you more happy. So I can go on, but I won't. Okay. Uh, what is the greatest gift we can give to each other? Love. No, I don't. I mean, gifts. Uh, uh, yeah. I think patience, understanding, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of a, what do you say about that? And what do you say? Laughter. I mean, I'm, I would say patience, grace. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Grace. Um, what question do you wish I'd asked? Are you sure? Do you want to keep this short? <laughs> what would your answer have been? Yes. <laughs> okay. We're almost done. We only have two cards left. <sighs> Okay, so this is the first one, which is the lightning round. So these are all your faves, okay? So, favorite place on Earth? Um, I 
Yeah, definitely Italy. Um, the, uh, what's the little town we're in? Luca. Luca. Luca, Italy. I could, yeah, I could be there. Yeah, well, probably not right now, but in a couple months. Um, favorite movie you can't turn off? Uh, there's so many. Um, Fresh one, uh, And I wish I could say something cool. That's the thing. In my head, I'm like, oh, this isn't about being cool. I know, but I want to think of that. What, you know what that is. I don't know what that is. I told you, authentic. Honestly, I mean, if it's Top Gun, the volleyball scene, you can just admit it. No, those are good. I think anything from uh, like P.T. Anderson, like uh, Magnolia. Okay, see? Good answer. Um, favorite TV show to binge? Um, anything reality show. Okay, favorite book? <laughs> I don't read a whole lot of books. Well, you mentioned uh, Outliers. You mentioned Outliers, outliers. okay. Yeah. yeah favorite podcast? Um, probably Joe Rogan. Okay, favorite musician? Um... William Fitzsimmons. Really? Mm-hmm. I have known every one of your answers before you gave it, except that one. See? 21 years later, you're still surprised. I mean, it, it, it could really change in the moment, but that's... Yeah, I realize that. I mean, uh, I favorite like song? Smith. I like, you know, Doesn't what, have to be um, by William Fitzsimmons. Just any artist's favorite song. Um, a song you cannot turn off that you have to turn it up when it happens. I don't know. Pass. It's too many. <laughs> favorite sport? Um... I don't play sports right now, but I, I enjoy college football probably. Okay. Favorite meal? Um, anything my dad cooks. Favorite leisure activity? Napping. Um, I've lost audio because I think my AirPods just died, but I'm going to keep going because I can read your lips. Um, so this is the last card, and these are the famed questions from the actor's studio. Your favorite word? <sighs> Um, least favorite word. I don't know. I, 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 God, I can't, I've never, I get, you know, you think about, I don't think about these questions, but then when you do, it's like, you know, my favorite word is probably, um, what do I say? Favorite turn ons. Oh, so you can't hear what, me. Right what's now. in jump? You can't hear me. I'm I talking can't hear to you. you. No, I can't hear you at all. I'm treating your total lips. Cluster um, right what now. turns you off? Right, this is my, my favorite word. Cluster. Hold on. I'll switch to my um, headset so I can hear unbelievable you rehearse you work for things you try to make them good and all right there we go i mean did you really think you can get away with having see this is the beauty of doing it live you never know what's going to happen and it keeps it interesting and i think it makes it fun all right i should be able to hear you now hello yeah there we go all right okay so let's do the actor studio part again your favorite word i don't know Least favorite word? Um, cluster is probably a good word. Oh, I'm going to use that a lot more now. Um, what turns you on? Um, anything that makes me feel something. Like what music turns you off? or something. Um, turns me off. People that, um, a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, I think... Um, People telling me what to do. Mm, that's definitely one. Uh, sound or noise that you love the most? I think laughter. My kids' laughter in particular. Sound or noise that you hate the most? Uh, anything off-tune, a chord that is not tuned properly, and especially when it comes to harmony or anything like that, and it's bad. Favorite curse word? I can't say it, but I, there's a bunch of good ones. Well, just pick the first letter of one of them. Um... 
I don't know. You've heard a bunch of them. So. I have heard them all. Yeah. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You said earlier. Yeah, I think um, I think anything with my hands, a sculptor or right. um, a craftsman or something where I, I build stuff. Right. Not like build stuff. Like I don't want to. I'm I'm a horrible builder. I don't build like Jonathan builds like furniture and stuff. I can never do that. More like sculpture things. What profession would you not like to do? Um, business person. <laughs> the job I have. Okay. Um, and last question of our time together. When you arrive at the pearly gates, what do you want to hear God say? Um, see, I told you. <laughs> okay. See, I told you, you survived this. It wasn't that bad, right? No, it wasn't. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed by the whole thing, but, um, I think yeah. you did a very good job. All right. So are we done? We are. You're free to go. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, for listening um, to this, to watching it live. We are going to be lining up um, a number of really fun guests in the next few weeks. So if you want to be a part of this, let me know and I can get you on the schedule. If there's somebody specific that you want us to interview, let me know. I'll reach out to them and see if they're interested in coming in and opening up. And uh, if you missed part of it, you can always watch in the replays later. Thanks for being a part of Raise Your Branding Podcast and for spending about an hour with us.